Thank you for choosing to listen to another exciting teaching from Revive Church. Please join us at either of our two Sunday morning locations, 9 a.m. at Revive Bitterroot, 3909 Highway 93 in Stevensville, or 10 a.m. at 2811 Latimer in Missoula. We also have a 6 p.m. evening service at 130 East Broadway in downtown Missoula. I'm thrilled that, and I want to say this, I'm I'm thrilled for our community event. I do want to highlight... uh, missions to the world for a moment, but I'm thrilled that our church is both a church that works in neighborhoods and the nations. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. What did Candy say? We No, we do. We, we, um, sometimes churches, some churches are called to just serve in their community and some go to the nations really well, but I, I think, um, I don't think you should go to the nations if you don't do the neighborhood. If you don't do your city, if you don't reach the people around you, if, if we're not being a light in Missoula, what are we going to take to some people in another or other nations? And so uh, it's really fun. It was really fun to have, uh, well, uh, let me do it this way. Uh, after the meeting, we're going to be praying for Miss K. Miss K. Valentin. Would you stand up and just wait? Come on, stand up and wave. Kay is heading uh, off to Australia next week. Oh, poor thing. I'm called for the, to the gospel. Um, with our uh, regions beyond family of churches, is, is actually com- this is really cool. They've compiled an international team to go reach churches and connect with churches that want to link with us uh, in Australia. So J.R. Quigley from Helena, our Helena church is going. And Steve, he said, I want to, I want to take a representation of regions beyond. So he's got uh, people from like India, people from Montana, uh, people from around the globe going on this international mission team to go serve in Australia. So we're thrilled to be able to pray uh, for Kay after the meeting, just make your way up when we conclude. Uh, that's when I will either walk off the stage or stop talking, uh, or they turn off the sound. Uh, but we'll pray for you right up here. We were thrilled to have the men's breakfast here yesterday uh, with um, hearing about what Roger and Carol have been doing uh, down in South Africa with medical missions. And we'll hear more about their trip coming up. It's going to be in March, I believe. And they were going once a year, but now I think it's twice a year. So what God's doing down there has accelerated. And so they work with Brad. Uh, Brad, would you stand up? Brad from Kalispell here today. And then uh, Rufus, who, Rufus, why don't you come up? I want to have you just say a couple words and and greet the church. Rufus Ludwig from South Africa. Uh, Rufus and Brad and Roger and Carol have a display uh, called huntsouthafrica.com uh, or huntsa.com. Uh, all their hunts are uh, fair chase. They, what they do with uh, all the food or the meat that's harvested goes to several uh, orphanages too, specifically that these guys work with. And we've, we found out after Roger and Carol linked with our church um, they met some of the same people that know Cameron and Loreen and work with Steve Oliver and also work with our regions beyond church, uh, family of churches. So it's been really fun to engage the nations. And so I want Rufus to uh, say hey. And good, good morning, church. Yes, it's so great to be around you. You know, it's, it's just amazing standing in front of you this morning. 20 years ago, 
I was showing the Jesus in a remote area of South Africa called the Transkei, where you go with your 4x4 and your uh, Jesus film equipment and just put up a screen in the middle of nowhere, start showing the film, and people stream in, and it gets dark. And you're laying down on a moonlight night. There's no chair. Everybody's sitting on the, just on the grass and laying there, watching the stars and watching the Jesus film. And after a week of, of, of showing the Jesus film, coming back, I had this conversation with God. And while driving, you know, people don't have cars there like we have. So people walk along the road all the time. So when Americans come, they ask me, where are these people going? I don't know myself. But they're visiting or, or whatever. But just seeing these people and knowing the culture, knowing they, the culture of Africa is a non-biblical culture. It's a culture of ancestor worship. It's a culture of voodoo. It's a culture of witchcraft. And just knowing the culture knowing this vast amount of people won't see heaven. And I was driving and I sat in the car and I said, but God, what am I doing? I'm going for a week in a year to this area. Show the Jesus film. Yes, amazing. People get saved. Wonderful. And I drive back till next year. And I said, God, is that all? And God started giving me his dream. And he said, the resources are in America, and the needs are here in Transkei. And stupid me, resources, what's resources? Money? He says, no, you're thinking worldly. Get spiritual. <laughs> the hearts of the Christians of America. Go and find them and bring them over. And today, to stand here and look what Roger and Carol and your church has done to make God's dream come true. Amen. Of the resources, the hearts of the Christians that came over, that took Carol and Roger total out of their comfort zone, totally into medical missions. I can understand still Carol, but I don't understand Roger. <laughs> Being in medical missions, but that's how God works. That's what he did with me. He took me a cattle rancher that knows nothing and throw me around America. But that's what God does. And I just want to come and thank you today for your church and supporting Roger and Carol and the amazing work you guys are helping to make God's dream come true in Africa. Thank you. Brilliant. It's great. Yeah, I'm not sure if I want Roger patching me up either medically, and, um, but <clears throat> um, thank you, Rufus, for, um, no, I'm sure you do just fine. Um, I want to have you turn to Exodus chapter 12, and then in a little bit, we're going to be over in Mark 14, and as I said to uh, start us off and showed you the, my sweatshirt, a table, not a temple. I want to remind you just the last few weeks what we've w discussed. We've talked about um, 
the meals of the Bible and all these incredible times where, uh, like in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or leaving a meal. He's, he was always feasting, always eating, always with people. Always, uh, he even invited himself to Zacchaeus. He said to this total stranger, tonight I'm dining in your house. Uh, I love that about him. The, the Pharisees said he, he eats with publicans and sinners. He's a wine-bibber. He's, he's always around people, and they criticized him for that. I preached about the Syrophoenician uh, woman and others who came, uh, and the woman who washed uh, his feet with their tears. And, and Simon, the Pharisee, said uh, if he knew what kind of woman was touching him, he was grossed out by this, this touch, this relational aspect where Jesus didn't mind being in people's spaces. Even, uh, even people that were quote unquote sinners, they called him. Jesus said, no, I'm gonna dine with them. There's a great parable where a banquet was laid out. Imagine this, imagine if we lay out all the food that's gonna come in for the sober bowl and it comes down to kickoff and everyone that's invited doesn't, no one comes. Maybe with the weather, it might be challenging. Uh, but Jesus told a story of a great banquet and this guy laid out this huge feast and all of his special guests didn't come. And he said, go to the highways and the byways and go get anyone that would come. Go get people that are hungry. You know, go get people that are thirsty. And maybe we don't admit that we're hungry or thirsty, but we need that because God will fill us. The Bible says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst. I think the whole key to Jesus's first miracle, which was at a wedding feast, it was at this party, this banquet. Mary came to him and said, you know, they've ran out of wine. And, and they, 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 they said, we're out. The, the key to being filled by Jesus is to admit that you're out. And say, Jesus, this party's run dry. We are out of, we're out of the wine. We're out of the water. We're, we are totally out and we're totally thirsty and we need you. And that's where, that's where the God stuff comes in, where he steps in and says, yes, now I can work with these guys. And so we've been looking at these different meals of the Bible and challenging you to uh, into community and take people out, uh, find somebody you don't know at church, take them to lunch. Uh, tonight, come to the Sober Bowl. It, maybe it's not a recovery thing for you, but just come sit with someone new. Uh, in, in Bible times, to have a meal with someone was to invite them into friendship. And so today, I want to look at um, two really, really important meals uh, the Bible, uh, I want to look at the Passover and then uh, Christian version a little bit modified at the Last Supper, but I want to look at these tables and see what it means for us. Exodus 12, if you're there, say there. They're there. Here, here. It's on the screen if you don't have uh, your app or paper Bible. I want to preach to you the topic today is... Uh, Where's the lamb? Subject is where is the lamb? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, the month shall be for you in the beginning of the month. It shall be the first month of the year uh, for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house and a lamb for the household. And the lamb, if the lamb is too small for them, um, he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to uh, what each of you can eat. Uh, 
You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it up from the sheep or the goats. You will keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Uh, Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of their houses, and they will eat it. The flesh they shall eat that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread with bitter herbs. This sounds tasty, doesn't it? Uh, do not eat any of the it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and legs and her parts. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains till morning, you shall burn. In this manner you eat it. Uh, your belt will be fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, for I will pass through or pass over the land of Egypt that night and will strike down the firstborn uh, of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. I will pass over, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike down the land of Egypt. Wow. Maybe to the modern reader this might seem well barbaric. Why? A sacrifice, why this innocent uh, little, why would a lamb have to die? And I want to point out one of the overarching stories of the Bible is the story of the lamb. All the way through scripture, the, the, the story of the Bible is about a, a substitutionary sacrifice. An innocent victim had to die for the guilty. And that's, what, that's the, the story all the way through. through. And, and there's all these meals all the way through the Bible. And this Passover, Jews and even Jewish Christians celebrate this meal in a way where they remember how God passed over them in Egypt because the blood was on the doorpost of their home. Uh, and the firstborn uh, was not killed. And you say, well, why the firstborn? It's an interesting in looking at uh, Numbers and uh, Numbers 3 and 8 and later in Exodus, I think, 22, uh, the firstborn, God could require the firstborn as a payment for the family. Did you know that? Uh, in fact, they worked totally differently. They were more uh, of a collective culture. We're more individualistic, right? We, uh, a few examples. So uh, in Bible times, if the parents or the dad were to die, everything would go to the firstborn son, how many firstborn sons are in the house? Boom. Um, I have four siblings that wouldn't like that plan, right? Josh gets everything, yes. Uh, but it was different. They lived together. They took care of one another. They wouldn't have had, we live in a different time where there's nursing homes and, and people move away. I have siblings in states all over the place, but the responsibility for me as the firstborn son would be to take care of mom and dad. I would be the one that, be the new head of the house. I'd take care of my siblings. The responsibility would, would be to the oldest son. All the ladies said, what? Um, so, also, if there was sin in the family, uh, God could require the firstborn. As a, man, he's responsible for this family. It's kind of like in Genesis 22 where God said, take Abraham, your one and only son, and sa sacrifice him to me. Take Isaac. Uh, it was be because God actually could require that. And so in Egypt, we, we, 
Pharaoh has been holding God's people in captivity, the Hebrew people, and God's saying, let my people go and let them go. And Pharaoh's obstinate and he won't believe in God. And he's saying, no, I'm God. I won't let them go. And so God just starts bombarding with these plagues. And he finally says, unless there's blood over the doorpost of your home. And I, I don't mean to just be abrupt, but in Egypt that night, there was either a dead lamb or a dead son. When later on in the chapter, we didn't read it in like verse 23, it says the destroyer's going to come. And if there's no blood, there's uh, going to be death. And God could require that. He said, unless there's a lamb. And it doesn't make, why this little teeny innocent little cute little lamb? But unless there was, judgment came. And it's that way in our life. If we turn to the left or the right or or allow sin to enter into our life, the destroyer comes, doesn't he? Things break down. The effects, why, one reason we have sober bowls, the effects of alcoholism and drug addiction all through our community have affected, so the destroyer tries to come in. And we wanna raise up a standard and help people find, find truth and find hope and find healing. Are you with me today? I just read that Missoula's the, the 13th drunkest city in our nation. And we can hear that, oh, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, we party, ah. Well, that means, what that specifically means is 24% of our population drinks to excess uh, within a year. It's, you know, wasted. 20, 24%, a quarter of our, of our city. I would say there's issues that come up with that. There's debt, there's... Uh, families that split up. There's all kinds of, not just alcohol, but think of the drugs or opioids or the addictions that come in. Why? Because there's a destroyer. There, there is evil and there is good. And God's story is I provided this lamb uh, to pay for your debt and I'm going to get you out of slavery into a promised land. So that's the, that's what the Passover was about. And so they would they came together and they had their bread, they had their wine, they had their lamb. They, imagine, that, imagine that night, there had to, that had to be a heavy duty night, waiting to see uh, what would happen. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, who I've talked about, it's Genesis 22, one of my favorite stories of the Bible. Uh, God tells him, hey, I, Abraham, I want you to give me your son. This son was the son of promise. This was the one that was going to carry his family line on, right? And, and I, I think it might have been different if it, Abraham, give me your wife, Sarah, or, okay, no. Uh, <laughs> brother and mother-in-law, oh gosh, bad. Um, I got to stay focused here. This is an intense message. I want to yell at you more. Um, uh, I think it's because God could require. I, I don't think he liked it, but give me your son. And, okay, I, I don't get it. I know God said he, the promise is in Isaac. I know God said my descendants are going to be great, but Isaac, come. And what he says, that they're, they're going with this caravan, and they get to Mount Moriah, and he looks at the guys, and he says, you guys stay here. We're going to go up and Worship. The first mention of worship in the Bible is when Abraham uh, looks at the guys, and why? Because some tests you gotta do alone. You gotta say, you're not going with me. We're going up the mountain, and we're gonna worship? What a word. 
I'm going to lay it all, I would lay everything on the line. And, and that's real worship when you can lay anything down, even if it's the, the thing you love the most. My guess is Isaac's the, the one thing Abraham loved the most. What's your Isaac? What's the thing that would be difficult to say, God, this is yours? This is what God's challenging Abraham with. And they, they're going up and get this. They're going up the mountain. And Isaac says, Dad, you got the knife. Genesis 22. There it is. Uh, Father, here I am. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb, a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You know this Mount Moriah, this is uh, where Calvary's going to be. What a foreshadowing, not just a foreshadowing, what a prophetic word to, to, the na- to us today. But did you catch Isaac's words? Dad, you got the wood. You got the fire. Where's the lamb? And that's a question every one of us should ask. Man, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the payment of sins? Maybe you don't know the lamb. But he says, where is it? And it, I think it, even furthermore, later on when uh, Abraham reaches out his hand to strike down his son, God stops him and they look over and there's a ram in a thicket. It wasn't a lamb because there's going to be a lamb later, right? But there's a ram and it couldn't, a ram couldn't be sacrificed for an atonement offering. It was a thanks offering. And I think what God's saying is, hey, uh, this story isn't over, Yes, there were Passover lambs. And yes, I ask you to sacrifice, but there's someone coming that's going to be the lamb. And so in, in Mark 14, I want to just draw a few parallels with the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Today, in a minute, we're going to celebrate communion together where we get the bread and the juice and we remember and we, we do what Christ did. But it says this on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed and then later crucified, he got his guys together and we could all picture the um, Last Supper, right? Is it Leonardo da Vinci that paints this amazing portrait uh, and painting of Jesus and all of his guys at the table and Judas is there betraying him. One of you will betray me and it's Judas and John is going, you know, they're going, well, it's not me. No, it's not me. And he's having his last moments with the guys, and get this, it's on Passover. He had told them, and this story's in every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Last Supper. It's in all the Gospels, but it's the Passover. And so like good Jewish guys, they would get together and celebrate Passover. That's what they were doing all over the city uh, then and all over the country. And Jesus is acting as the, the, in any Passover, there'd be a presider, there'd be someone, the dad or the head of the home would stand up and say, uh, okay, let's walk through a, pa- how many have ever been to a Seder dinner? Okay, um, whoa, <laughs> it was, must've been good. Um, a, a Seder dinner is uh, basically walking out the Passover and so what Jesus is doing, he stands up and uh, what he would have done, he, he tweaks it a bit. Uh, what he would have done if this was a traditional Jewish Seder, he would have stood up and he would have gotten the bread and he would have said, uh, this is the bread of our affliction. Our forefathers suffered in the wilderness. 
uh, and we're having this bread to remember that we were afflicted and God gave us bread and manna in the wilderness and we're gonna break it and we're gonna remember. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But Jesus instead says, he changes it. This is my body broken for you. Right? This, and uh, in a traditional Seder, there's different ways they do it. There would be four or even five glasses of wine on the table, and they would take the cup and they would thank God uh, for their salvation from labor because the, they, were, they were stuck in Egypt, right, uh, as slaves. And then they'd take the next cup and thank God their, their salvation from servitude. And then they'd take the next cup and say, God, you passed us through the Red Sea from death unto life, from slavery into freedom. We're going to the promised land and we thank you. So all this symbolism in this amazing meal that happened uh, at Passover, they thanked him for becoming a nation at Mount Sinai. Could you imagine a whole, several million people leaving slavery? They get to Mount Sinai and God says, I'm going to make you a holy nation. He made them a nation. Right then, and so they would thank him. And then some people in a Seder, when they do Passover, they will have um, the Elijah's cup, which is the, or the Messiah's cup for the Messiah when he's going to come. And they'd leave it. They wouldn't drink from that cup. Are you guys still with me? Okay, and so Jesus doesn't do that. He says, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you. This is my body broken. This is my blood shed. And then, as any good presider of a Passover meal, Jesus gets to the lamb at the table. Problem is, there's no lamb. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where's the, that's the question, where's the lamb? There isn't one. When we have communion later, we don't have, because the lamb in a Passover and in a, a Jewish Seder, the lamb's the main course, am I right? But not in, not in the New Testament, not in Christianity, not, not in what he did, he changes it because it would be weird for, Look, John the Baptist was the first guy to get this. He saw Jesus coming in John, I think, 3, or John 1. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away, there's John 1, 29, the sin of the world. He's the Lamb. This guy's the Lamb. We don't need to eat lamb and have a a Passover again because now I'm the Lamb. So it would be so strange for Jesus to get to the Last Supper and say, guys, here's the Lamb, but wait, I'm the Lamb. We don't have communion and have bread and have a little bit of juice and then a little bit of jerky. Mm, lamb. Mm. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to make I don't want to make fun, but uh, think about it. Think of of what we miss in reading this story. Jesus is the Lamb. He's the one who died. He's the one that's going to go to the cross. He's going to be the sacrifice to end every sacrifice and pay for our sins. And so when we, if, if you don't know, the, I want you to uh, behold the lamb today. Look at what John said, behold. And that doesn't mean just look, like see the lamb. It means look, 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 look. It means take him in. It means ponder it. It means there is the lamb. I, I want him to go deep down into my life and change everything I do. That's the way we break affliction. That's the way we break addiction. That's the way we break poverty. That's the way we break sickness because his body was broken. And so 
the tradition is nice, but we do, we're not called to, it's nice to have a Passover meal, but if you have a Seder meal, you're celebrating the Passover in Egypt. Jesus changes communion to the Lord's Supper to say, I'm now the lamb, and everything you need is fulfilled in me. Amen? And so if we were to ask, uh, Heather, you and the team can come. If we were to ask a Hebrew person who, was, who had left Egypt, you know, tell me your story. What does this mean? How did this happen? How did you, how did you get here? You know, I think they would say, man, we were suffering in Egypt. But we learned this, when you suffer, God is near. And they would say, we had to make bricks without straw. And we cried out, God, when will this end or how long? I don't know if you've ever been enslaved to something, but if you have, you'll say, God, how long? When will this be over? They, they would say, um, but God broke us out of there, a lamb. The story they would tell, they'd say, man, this is so weird because we had to take a lamb and sacrifice it and eat it and put the blood over the doorpost of our home. And because of that, we were saved. We crossed the Red Sea. We went from slavery to freedom to our, towards our promised land. But you know what? If they continued their story, they would say, uh, we started to give up along the way. Are you guys familiar with the Exodus story? And they'd say, we tried to make a golden calf. We wanted to worship an idol again. And do you know what they're doing there? They're volunteering for slavery. If you, if you idol worship or you have an addiction in your life, uh, it's volunteering for slavery. That's what it is. But they would say, God brought us from that and he brought us to our promised land and we are now free because of the lamb. Right? Today, if someone were to ask us, I want you to think about us here in our setting. If someone were to come to you as a Christian and say, how, did, how does this work? How does it work for you? Explain your faith. Well, you'd say, man, I was entombed. I was enslaved. I maybe wasn't in Egypt, but I, had a, I was enslaved to my own sin and I was the God of my life for sitting on the throne of my life and God wasn't there. But God made, made a provision. It wasn't a little lamb on the doorpost of a home. It was blood on the doorpost of my heart because of his sacrifice. And when the destroyer comes and he sees that, he has to pass over my life. And now I live in freedom because the lamb is in my life. Amen. So today, um, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I'd like us to um, consider that question. And maybe you don't know today uh, where the lamb is. Maybe you don't know that story, the substitutionary sacrifice that was made as a provision to pay for your sin and the death that enters our life from Adam and, and the destroyer comes. Maybe you need Jesus to be central. If he isn't, I'd urge you not to take communion. However, I would say pray and receive him right now and, and join the family of believers. Join, come to the table that he has laid out. Confess your sins, uh, and the Bible says you'll be made whole. Give him your life. There's, there's only one worthy. Uh, remember in Revelation, there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb who is worthy. There's these elder guys that got crowns. 
and they even took their crowns and they cast them down at his feet. Imagine anything he gives us that's a, a reward in light of who he is. When you see him, you'll say, God, thank you for the reward, but you are so big and so great. You are the lamb. And we throw it down at his feet because of what he's done, paying for our sin. So lay your life down, surrender it to him today. Maybe you know the lamb, and we, we want to take that message to the city tonight as they come, and, and maybe you're going somewhere else. Let's take it this week, where, and we have the lamb in our life. We don't have to ask like Isaac, Dad, you got the knife, you got the wood, where's the lamb? We never should have the answer as believers in Christ. And let's celebrate uh, communion today with newfound freedom of who Jesus is. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. May God richly bless you in the upcoming year.